being seated, I also invite you to pray with me this morning. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we pray today that we might hear a word from you, from the scriptures that we've already read to the words of my mouth, that we might be transformed in some way, charged to go out into this world to experience your Holy Spirit, participate with it, and to be your love in the world. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, our God. Amen. Amen. Well, today is our second to last week in this series on Acts. And one of the things that we've been doing is we've been charting the beginning portion of Acts. And if you've been with us, you know that Acts is the second part in a a two-part novel written by the author of Luke and Acts. And up until this time, Luke spends a lot of time writing about the beginning, the birth of the church, and how it begins to take place and unfold. And and next week, we're going to celebrate that day with Pentecost, with the, the fiery Holy Spirit coming upon the people that had gathered to watch Jesus do the craziest thing, I think. And I say this all the time which was leave us on earth to be his presence here and now. That us, broken and fragmented people that have a hard time gathering on our table with our loved ones at Thanksgiving, let alone embodying God's love to strangers, that God uses us to be God's presence in the world. And this has been the theme that we've been talking about is that God gives us God's power which is God's presence. But we've been talking about how we receive that is not through kind of owning it or grasping it or telling others that they're not included at the table, but how we receive it is, well, by receiving it. And last week we talked about Stephen and how he went before all the powers that be. And we talked about how the people that were in power missed it because they were too either afraid of this new movement called the way or how they were too sure of themselves that they knew all of the answers. And we talked about faith sitting in this in-between. That faith stood in between the, the fear and this over, like, I don't know, overabundant faith, like overabundant sense of confidence. That faith was somewhere in between. Have the courage to stand up, but then also don't always believe that we're always right. Well, today we're going to go over a scripture that I like one of my favorite scriptures, but this is true. It's the story of the man named Saul. And for some of us, we know that Saul later becomes the character Paul. The, the one who without Paul or God's use of Paul, we, none of us would be here. He was the one that brought the gospel, the good news to the world beyond. Uh, Jesus, in his ministry, in the book of Luke, spends most of his time journeying from the outskirts into Jerusalem. You know, that he goes from the outskirts where he was born, Nazareth, he's kind of a hand worker, and then makes his way to his final days into the center. But that tells the apostles that they will do the opposite. And, and the writer of Luke knows this, and Acts spends that time and begins to slowly expand but it all transitions here with this character, Saul. 
Saul, who was a Pharisee, who had, we know from other accounts, had done everything blamelessly according to the law. And beyond just being a Pharisee, he was a citizen of the Roman Empire, of which not everyone during that time in the Mesopotamian area were. But if you were a citizen, you had certain rights and certain privileges that later on in the story we see him try to enact. But Paul was a figure to be reckoned with. At first with Stephen, he just seemed like this young guy who was holding the coats of the first martyr. But then later, all of a sudden, he's going before the chief priests and given their authority to be their power, the extension of it. And everyone seems to know it, that Paul is a man on a mission, and that mission is to squelch out any followers of the way, to bring them back to Jerusalem and to do probably what they did to Stephen. And then they tried or wanted to do to Peter and John, to bring them before everyone, to accuse them of things that they may or may not have done. But the one thing that stands out to me about the scripture, and as I reflect upon it within the power of the Holy Spirit, and this is true for, I think, both the main characters, Ananias and Paul, is that the Holy Spirit chooses us. We don't choose the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about this. The Holy Spirit chooses us, and we don't choose the Holy Spirit. And what do I mean by that? Because I've been in different contexts and different Christian communities where we're told a lot about what we need to do in faith, right? I didn't grow up in the church. And when I came into the church, I was told I needed to read the Bible. I needed to go to church. I needed to uh, not do certain things that some of the kids in high school were doing. I needed to, you know, I had all this list of the things I was given to be a good Christian, a follower of the way. And at first, I, you know, at first I fell in love with the love of God sent to us. And then I felt like I needed to do the things because God sent God's son for us. So if I was to be truly appreciative of all that God had done in my life, I needed to do the lists that was being given to me by, well, the people in the church that had been there way longer than me. And I'm not trying to say that list is bad. But one of the things that it started to build in me is this sense that I had to earn my love. And full disclosure, and I know my dad watches my uh, streams many a times, but I grew up in a sports house. My dad was a PE teacher. He was the swim coach of the swim team. And my mom liked sports as well. And they pushed me and my brother to go after whatever sport that we were. And we happened to be relatively good athletes, but they would rarely would I hear, you did an amazing job. It was always kind of like this little bit of a tweak, right? Well, you know, you could do that flip turn better, right? Or, you know, if you would have practiced this summer, you would have done better in the state meets. Or, you know, there's always these little extras that I needed to do. And, and for whatever reason, I think a lot of our kids grow up with our well-intentioned love that we give them. That sometimes people grow up with this sense that they need to earn their, your love, our love as parents. And, and I think I had that. I feel like I needed to do certain things to get the attaboy on my back. And that feeling of growing up wanting to 
you know, a get approval from my parents through the sports and academic achievement also carried in to when my friends were telling me I needed to do, you know, X, Y, and Z in my faith. And perhaps I'm the only one, but I know a lot of people that will make comments like, I don't feel close to God or, you know, after a divorce or after a, a moral failure will say, well, if I walk foot or step foot in the church, God's going to strike me with lightning. And it's this guilt that people carry that if they've done something wrong, now all of a sudden there's this chasm between us and God. And it's built upon this notion that we must do the things to be inheritors of God's love and the Holy Spirit. And so now let me remind you of what stood out in the text today, is that the Holy Spirit chooses you. We don't choose the Holy Spirit. If you look at this scripture itself, and you fast forward later to the end of the Apostle Paul's ministry, every step along the way, I believe that the Apostle Paul is reflecting on this road to Damascus, on this place in his journey. And in the heart of what he presents at the end of his ministry, you want to know what he says? For while I was weak, at the right time, God sent God's son. While I was an enemy, God reconciled me. And this isn't just theological talk. Paul was a murderer, right? At least according to all the people that followed the way. He was complicit in it and was seeking to actively engage in that behavior. And while he was actively seeking to engage in dismantling the way, the Holy Spirit chose Saul, who later becomes Paul. While he was an active enemy of God, Paul was chosen. And one of the things that resonates with me is that I didn't grow up in my faith. I wasn't trying to be a Christian. I wasn't trying to join the church. All of a sudden, my faith kind of fell into my lap. The Holy Spirit chose me through the circumstances of my life. And I know of other stories of other members of our church that have had something similar. Perhaps they grew up in the church and it was a moment, whether it was a retreat or through the loss in their life or through successes that they had, all of a sudden their faith went from being the thing in their not lives, the normal thing that they grew up, to something that took hold of them in a unique way. The beginner of this movement called the United Methodist Church, uh, you know, John Wesley and Charles Wesley. John Wesley was doing all the things. He had gone to Oxford. He was doing the things. He was going to America and he was helping people. He was trying to set up orphanages for kids. And then all of a sudden he was on a boat with some Moravians and, you know, like the rain and the waves and it's just, just go, starts going crazy. And then he's panicking. You know, we talked about fear and faith. Well, he was definitely in the fear boat, right? He was right there and he was in fear trying to know what was happening. Also, he looked over and these Moravians were sitting there singing praise songs. And then it hit him. And he talks about his heart being strangely warmed, that they had something, this fire. That's why we have the fire to our logo, the fire of the Holy Spirit. 
that he felt like he was missing. But the thing is, is that we don't choose to get that ourselves. John Wesley did not choose to be on a boat in stormy weather and know that he was going to be succumbed by fear. I did not choose to fall into my faith tradition by doing the right things. If you've had one of these moments, my guess is you didn't choose that moment for your life because a lot of times it's hard moments. The Holy Spirit chooses us. And this is a, a double-edged sword because on the one hand, you cannot earn your faith in your relationship with God. And that's disappointing for some of us that are perfectionists and, you know, A students because we want to do all the right things. But on the other hand, you cannot earn your relationship to God. So when you look back at your mistakes, even as recent as last night, it's not about earning your faith. It's about resting in the faith that God has in us. And while it's a hopeful message for all of us that feel like we're flawed, that we can't do it, that we're not meeting the standards. It's the message of our baptism that we give ourselves to the love of God that goes before us. That we give ourselves the love of God that goes before us. And I think it's a, for me, the reason this scripture stands out so much is because here Saul was on his way, and God meets him there. But it's not just Saul, it's the story of so many in the faith. The father and mother of our faith tradition, Abram and Sarai, were doing nothing when God spoke to them and said, go from the place you were to the place I have in store for you. I hope at some level, if you are one of the people that came in this morning, concerned that you're not doing enough, concerned that your life is just broken a little too much, or you've tried, but you see, can't seem to succeed, that you'll find hope in the story of Paul, that is Saul. But now here's the challenge. Faith, or the Holy Spirit, doesn't choose or chooses us, we don't choose the Holy Spirit. And that's hopeful for us in our interpersonal well-being. We feel loved by God because God gives us limitless grace and uh, you know, an abundance of love. But the challenge with that comes when you read the perspective of Ananias. The challenge comes when we read the perspective of Ananias, because there Ananias was a follower of the way, trying to be faithful to this new journey that he is on. And then all of a sudden, he gets this revelation from God, from Jesus, and says, Ananias, you need to go to this guy named Saul. And then Ananias stops. First, he says, here I am, Lord, right? You know, it's the great quintessential. I'm ready to go to do whatever you have for me. Send me. Here I am, Lord. To, but, I, but Jesus, you know, you're talking about Saul, right? You're talking about Saul. 
And there was this moment, I think, in Ananias that he gave way to the temptation to think that we choose God, right? That we choose God, that we choose the Holy Spirit to transform our life, because clearly Saul was not choosing that. And clearly Saul was a threat. And no matter what seemed to like kind of come into his ethos in that immediate moment, his immediate response was to be like, I don't think so. I don't think so. But then we see towards the end that Saul begins to, or sorry, that Ananias begins to believe something different, I think. And that was exactly what I said before. The Holy Spirit chooses us. We don't choose the Holy Spirit. And so even though it was difficult, even though Saul was a murderer, was the opposite of what good would be to attain God's love, according to the way. He believed for a moment, believed that God could choose that person, that God could choose that person. And just imagine for a moment how our world, how our community, how your home might change if you believed two things, that you were loved, accepted, and have a place at God's table no matter what. And that that person, that person might be as well. Paul hadn't changed his life. Paul was given a revelation. Paul was actively going to do the bad thing, and Ananias was sent in that moment. How would our community change if we might see others, not as the actions they're committing, but as opportunities for reconciliation for the Holy Spirit to come? And despite all logic, despite all that might be told by the people around him, Ananias somehow had the strength to believe in God at work in that moment. And that the Holy Spirit could choose anyone. That he embraces Saul. And says what? My brother. My brother. What might it look like if we were willing to overcome the opportunity for hate with an opportunity to love? To say, my brother, my sister. To let the Holy Spirit move in this unwieldy way. And we might find some sense of reconciliation. Miroslav Volf, a theologian, writes about this in a book called Exclusion and Embrace and talks about the challenge for both the oppressor and the oppressee to be embraced by the love of God in a way that brings us together to find reconciliation. And I don't know about you, over the last week, last week and a half, 
I feel overcome by hate and anger and this temptation to think that who are these people? Who are these people? Right, with two different experiences within society, one of traveling three hours away to the colored neighborhood, and then another to an elementary school. Who are these people? And the temptation is to sit there and to stay there and to harbor that. And I'm not excusing those people or those actions. In fact, I think that they are completely off. But how do we now try to find in these hard moments opportunities to love even our enemies? It gets real, real when you think about it over the course of the past week and a half. That doesn't mean you condone. It doesn't mean you embrace. But it does mean we love. And we believe that in everyone, there is the opportunity of the Holy Spirit at work. And so if Ananias could believe that about the guy who was sent there to put them in prison and perhaps in the same place that Stephen went, the grave. Perhaps that God can overcome some of those obstacles that we experience. That wrong look that you got that one time from that one friend. <laughs> that em employee who just can't seem to, you know, give you the respect you deserve. The one student in your class that just always talks back. How will we let the Holy Spirit move in us and believe the power that God chooses us? We don't choose God. Let us believe that and let us allow for opportunities of embrace to learn to love those as they are, as God has loved us as we are. Let us pray upon that. Let us wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to allow us the sort of courage that Ananias was given. I invite you to pray. Holy Spirit, we pray that you might move in us. Stir in us a faith that's been warmed by your touch. That we might see ourselves as pure recipients of your love and grace. Having earned nothing, but desiring to experience and to be your love in the world. And as we go from this place, the people that we encounter, let us have the courage to believe that your Holy Spirit chooses us and we don't choose you. And that just like Ananias, we might go and embrace those who otherwise we might believe are against us. And let us live into the reckless love that you showed us in Jesus himself while he was with us. And the love that empowered so many of the early disciples 
even Paul, Saul who becomes Paul, to go out and to proclaim the good news that all have been included and incorporated into this work of your love while we were weak. Amen.